It is 11.04, time for the Dr. Payne Show. By the way, anytime you need to get a hold of Dr. Lou, uh, 1-855-55-DROU is the uh, number, info at paincarecanada.com. And you're not doing this radio show. So we were just talking to Greg before uh, before he took off. And uh, yeah, it's it's kind of a, a mental thing, the instability. He's he's strong, the knee is strong, but it's it's like, you know what? You got to watch how far you, you go 100%, down that road. Right? Yeah, and, and that's where all... All the problems kind of start is when people start. It's the same thing. I mean, this is a different case when you're talking about something post-surgical. But even people that have hurt themselves, like they have a back issue, right. that's how the chronic pain starts to develop, right? Because they get to the point where they feel better, but they say this. They say, I'm afraid to do stuff because I don't want that to happen again. Sure. Which is natural. Totally. See, this is the thing. This is all based on evolution. This is the way we're designed. We want to avoid things that have hurt us before, and that makes good evolutionary sense. Survival. However, if you do that and you're constantly afraid, that's where you start to perpetuate the cycle of the psychological, or perpetuate the cycle of having that psychological component and creating what we call the neuropathic pain, which is pain that is essentially almost ingrained in your nervous system at that point. And that is when pain becomes much more difficult. Now, Greg said, I'm not in pain. He's just afraid. But same thing. It's going to take... And, and this is the basis for all phobias, really. This isn't just the, you know, not that that's a phobia, but any phobia that you look at, it's all based on something that you believe in your head that is often not factual. And that's what psychologists and social workers, when they uh, prescribe cognitive behavior therapy, that's actually what they work on. They're yeah. essentially saying, we're going to change what you believe in your mind with the facts. What you're forecasting Exactly. Is and it's like people who are afraid of dogs, for example, um, what they'll encourage with cognitive behavior therapy is go be around dogs and document your experience. You have to write it down uh, because, you know, and, and what's important to do is write down your beliefs before and then after, right? So if I'm afraid of a dog, I'm going to write down, I'm afraid because I think it's going to bite me. I think it blah, 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 whatever mm-hmm. that might be. Then you expose yourself to whatever you think that, that stimulus is. And in this case, we're talking about um, being afraid of a dog. And then all of a sudden you start to realize, hey, it didn't bark at me. It didn't bother me. It didn't bite me. me. And you start writing that down. And now it takes a long time. That Mm -hmm. doesn't, it's not like you do it one time and that's it, your phobia or your fear or whatever it is, is over. But over time, you'll start to realize, hey, these beliefs that I have over the hundreds of times that I've now done this, no dog has ever bit me. No dog's barking at me. Mm -hmm. It's clearly what I was thinking was not the reality. And oftentimes these phobias are triggered like someone who's, afraid of a dog is often triggered by a bad event, right? Sure. Same as a public speaking phobia. Sometimes it's triggered one. by by some type of event. People who uh, become agoraphobic, right, where it's a complete fear of being around anything or anyone. They just want to be in their houses. They want to be afraid of everyone. It usually starts with small social phobias, and it will just progressively get worse and worse because if you let your mind take over, again, we're designed to... Uh, want to stay away from the things that have potentially harmed us. It's, mm-hmm. again, good from an evolutionary perspective. But when we apply to cases like this where we're talking about, you know, a small public uh, social phobia, something very small that can escalate into an agoraphobia, which is a complete fear of being out in public, that's debilitating, right? That, that's huge. And so, um, you know, and I'm, I'm not a psychologist or anything, but Pain doesn't isn't all that different once it starts to become chronic. Once you start, I, I was out with friends yesterday, and they were asking me, um, you know, about work and things like that, and and uh, and I was telling them, and I and it was interesting the way I guess I brought this up. When you look at other branches of medicine, even if you say something as serious as cancer care, for example, 
although we may not have the answer answer to all the cancers, we often have an a, an answer where we can say, mm-hmm. hey, this is not a good one, and your prognosis is not good, right? You've, right? you've got very little time. The thing with pain management is the answers often suck, right? Like they're not, it's so individually based that there's so many things that need to be done. There's so many things that need to be considered that we don't have those stats where we can just turn and say, hey, you know, you've got, you know, when we look at something, say like diabetes, hey, you've got diabetes, Here's your prescription of right. some type of metformin, or if you're worse off, some type of insulin. But there it is, and there, and here's what it's going to be like. Here's what you need to do. There's very specific answers. You don't have that luxury. It's hard, much harder. Now, yeah. I'm not saying in, that it doesn't exist at all in any type of pain syndrome. We do have research that suggests how long it takes things to heal. But again, once you get into the chronic pain, that that's where people, I think, often find a lot of... Um, where it's very hard and where I think people who are not in pain don't realize what people in chronic pain are going through. The answers can often very much suck. And even me, when I'm seeing a patient and I'm giving them answers, sometimes you're throwing, you're telling them to do like 20 different things and you're telling them to do this for a very, very long time. And over that long time, maybe you're going to feel better. Right. And, And that's a hard thing for people to digest where it's like, well, hang on a sec. This isn't even just one thing. This is like a multitude of things I need to do. I need to do it for a long period of time. And I you're telling me I may get better. Right. And that's and that's very hard to digest. But the other reality is if you don't do that, you're only going to get worse. Right. Right. And so and and I think that's what I encourage people to look at is is, well, do you want to get worse? Because, again, I've seen people who were, you know, high functioning CEOs of companies that have gone in chronic pain and they've ruined their lives, lost everything. People don't realize how debilitating pain can be. You bet. Um, and so do you want, you know, that not, not that that happens to everybody that rolls their ankle. Not everybody that rolls their ankle is going to develop chronic pain. But again, if you have that type of personality, that, that anxiety-driven personality that can perpetuate these types of things, it is not going to help. And uh, uh, yeah, it's it's something, you know, why I encourage people to deal with their aches and pains early on and not wait too long. You have questions, concerns, comments, bring them on, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Dr. Show just getting warmed up here. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. It is 1114, yeah, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Info at paincarecanada.com. Get that consultation happening. If you have any concerns, take it from there. Talking about pain and the, uh, you know, the, the, the mental, the psycho, uh, psycho, psych- or psychotic, not psychotic, the uh, no. psychological part <laughs> yeah. of it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we mentioned another angle of that is, you know, guys at the gym, you'll see them walking around, they're doing, they're doing wrist curls and they got a belt around their waist. Yeah, we were talking yeah. about that with, uh, Greg was asking if he should be wrapping up his knee and, uh. And I think I've talked about this before, but I don't know if people remember, but once upon a time when you went into Home Depot, they were all wearing the the, the uh, the back belts. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you go in now, they're not wearing that. And so essentially what ended up happening is they were finding that although they had mandated for people to wear these belts, Mm -hmm. people were actually throwing out their backs more often. So they were thinking, what the heck's going on here? Like, why is that happening? And so what they ended up uh, finding was that Again, and this is, again, goes back to evolution. Your body is designed to conserve energy. So if you give your body a way to cheat or turn something off so that it doesn't utilize energy. It'll do it. I mean, every time a muscle is firing, you're utilizing energy. You right. There's something called a basal metabolic rate, which is just how many calories you will burn. is If you just lay living. there for 24 hours, right. just your heart beating, your muscles firing, things like that. And the average is about 2,000 calories a day. Like, really? Yeah, yeah that's wow. exactly. I mean, it goes very much dependent on yep. your size, obviously, 
you know, someone who's 4'11 and weighs 100 pounds is going to be much different than, you know, you at 6'5 and, what are you, 200 pounds? 205. 205. I wish. <laughs> and so, you know, it's going to be a little bit different. But, you know, what they ended up finding was that essentially when they were at home, uh, these people were throwing out their backs in other ways. And and it was simple things like putting on their socks yep. or going to bed Driving over. a dime. Exactly. Oh. And what ended up happening was you're keeping that belt on for eight hours. Your body's getting lazy. It's saying, well, I don't need to do the things to stabilize my low back because I got this external device that's doing that. So why right. should I burn energy doing that? And then all of a sudden when they're at home, boom, they do something that's mundane or seems mundane and they throw out their back. And so... Um, you know, my opinion on external devices for support is there's a time and a place, absolutely. Like, you know, if I, if someone's going to be doing deadlifts and things like that, should they be wearing it during that activity? Yeah, probably. Or squat. Uh, squat, same yeah. as, knee. Uh, you know, a knee brace. Like, if you have a weak ACL and you don't have good stability in your knee, but you still want to be active in your sport or your activity, whatever it is you're doing until you go on to maybe get it surgically repaired or whatever, then yeah, absolutely. But should you be wearing it as a preventative measure that's where I start to become a little more hesitant and right. uh, and and caution people to uh, be careful with that because once your body starts get, getting lazy, I mean it's very simple. Like even if you bang something, what's the first thing you do? You apply pressure to it, right? And and people people like feeling something around like a hurt Security. knee because they think it's more secure, but it's potentially more dangerous. And so. Um, yeah, and again, I'm not saying that this is something that absolutely never should you be doing it, a time and a place, but it's not. Even another good example is people that used to wear the neck braces. I don't know if you remember 20 years ago, as soon as someone woke up with a kink neck, they were slapping on a neck brace. You never see that anymore. Yeah. Um, and the reason is because, again, that lack of movement, all it's going to do is make things much, much worse versus right. better. The only time you ever have to wear a neck brace is if you have some type of fracture that's potentially unstable, uh, and, you know, you could potentially be stabilized. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, people still come into this day. It's Usually it's older people, but um, come in and they have a little bit of a kink neck and they're like, you know, can I get a neck brace? And it's like, yeah. no, you don't, you don't need that. Anymore. Exact opposite. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. yeah. You need to hang a dumbbell you around your forehead. You need to be uh, you need to be moving around, controlled movements yeah. again. Uh, and you need to be doing those things. Um you know, but, you know, if someone has, for example, a dislocated shoulder, should you be slinging that? Yeah, absolutely. But again, it's an unstable joint. So that's the big thing to to determine when is there, uh, like, when is something completely stable and when is something unstable? Um, and, the know, instability is to justify the brace as opposed to the brace making the joint unstable, right? Or weak, yes. right? Yes. And that's what I'm talking about. If you right. have an instability, yep. then yes, a brace is often or some type of external device device. Uh, becomes important. But when people just think that they need it because as a preventative measure, I'm afraid, that's when you need to be careful with that because right. you could actually be making yourself um, worse versus better. Um, speaking of instability, I had uh, someone tell me the other day that they were somewhere they were getting, I don't know if it was a massage or what they said they were getting, and whoever the therapist was was like poking in at their neck and saying like, you know, there's something that's out of place here. There's a you know, one of these uh, vertebrae is not where it should be. And and they called me right away. They're a friend of mine. And they're like, you know, like, wh what do I do? And I said, you can calm down. Because <laughs> if you had a vertebrae that was out of place, yeah, you'd, know. you'd know that. Uh, you know, sometimes people, when you feel like, I've had people say, like, if I feel on the right side of my neck, it feels mm -hmm. like there's a bump there. Again, wear, there's a lot of joints in the spine. Sometimes what can happen with wear and tear, specifically more in one joint, 
wear and tear arthritis means that the joint starts to also get bigger, it wears down, and it builds up calcium. That calcium yep. calcifies, it becomes more bone. That's a lot of the times what you're feeling is you're just feeling an area of more wear and tear. Um, and as that happens, but you know, don't don't be afraid that you have a, some type of clinical instability where you could, uh, you know, be paralyzed or whatever. And now, again, obviously, if you've had a bad trauma or anything yes. like that, you got to make right. sure. But we can talk more about that. And your concerns four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty on your cell. Doctor Payne continues right here, Global News Radio six forty Toronto. It is eleven twenty three. Have any concerns? Bring them on four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty on cell and talk. Where, about the, where yeah. are all the calls today? Last week was insane. It's Canada. Yeah, 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 yeah. People are still driving. Call yeah. in. Yeah, they're still sleeping. Yeah, yeah, yep. that's true. What were Consultations. Talk about it. Yeah, very, very simple. Give me a call. Um, Leave me a message and I'm going to give you a call back and we're going to discuss whatever issue it is that you have. Again, I'm not going to be able, I had one person, this this is a good example, sent me an email. Um, They outlined what they thought was, uh, I believe it was a hip bursitis and they kind of gave me a little spiel about it. And then they said, what exercises do you recommend? I can't, I can't give you any recommendations in that because a couple things here. Number one, you're assuming it's a hip bursitis. Right. I haven't made sure that it's a hip bursitis. Even if another healthcare professional told you it was a hip bursitis, I still need to do my due diligence. I can't rely on what if that's someone who's negligent, right? Like I, I don't For know, sure. you know, um, and I can't give specific exercises because if I give you an exercise, a generic exercise for say hip bursitis or whatever, and all of a sudden you don't actually have what you think you have and it actually makes you worse. Now I may become liable, right? No good. And that's no good. Yeah. And more than that, even outside of the liability, I want to do my due diligence. I'm not doing this to give people, you know, like the quick answer in and out. I I want to really try to help people that need the help. The consultation is very much designed to figure out what is it exactly you're experiencing or at least your symptoms. And a couple of things are going to happen. A, is it something that I'm well-equipped to assess myself? Uh, if so, then I'm going to probably suggest you come in and see me for yep. an assessment. That's where we can get you know down and dirty and figure it out, figure it out and, uh, um, and, and give you at least some of the answers you're looking for. Number two, I might suggest you should be seeing another professional in, in my team, right? Like I sometimes people, I think maybe they should be seeing a naturopath versus me or going straight to the, to the knee surgeon, for example. So I may suggest that versus seeing me. Or number three, I'm going to tell you, you know, maybe you're doing everything right and just continue down that road, right? right? Or, you know, this sounds like something you should be following up with your family doctor with or you know and obviously don't call me with medical emergencies i've had some calls where it's like please give me a call back right away i'm experiencing this this and this this is not 911 no don't call me if you think it's an emergency call 911 if you believe it's an emergency if you believe it's urgent go to an urgent care center this is something that you know you can wait 24 to 48 hours for me to get back to you, right? That That's that's very, very different. If you're experiencing something that's an emergency or extremely urgent, you should probably be going to one of those centers right. uh, to get it addressed just because, you know, you, time is precious in those instances, right? And you don't want to um, be wasting time giving Dr. Liu a call if it's potentially something like a heart attack, right? So uh, I would say get those things obviously ruled out through the proper channels. This time of year, beautiful summer outside, ton of cycling, ton of running, ton of swimming going on already. Yeah. People are getting all over it. You yeah, see a lot of that in your clinic? 
Yeah, for sure. Same thing. Like every season brings its new yeah. uh, types of activities that tend to strain things. The, the biggest thing that we face here is that because our seasons are constantly changing, we're constantly doing different movement patterns, right? So, you know, in a climate that's pretty stable, if someone's golfing, they're golfing year around. They're not all of a sudden. Right. But here, what's happening is you're not golfing for six or seven months. And then all of a sudden you're going back and you're you're doing that movement pattern. And sometimes your body, you know, has, let's call it rust that builds up. Um, and that's where injuries can be created. Same thing mm -hmm. as cycling. You know, there's a difference between you cycling on a stationary cycle in a gym versus you being outside, right? Same thing as running on a treadmill versus running outside. So although you think you're just running year around, if half of it is on a treadmill and half of it is outside, injuries can happen. That's different to your body and your body's going to, uh, experience those things dif differently. So absolutely, being uh, here in, in Canada, in Ontario, that that is what we're going to face, is that that changing season always brings about new types of activities and new movement patterns that we haven't done, you know, maybe in a number of months. And that potentially, you know, could be dangerous. And so, uh, you know, if you're feeling, again, the aches or the pains, it's important to come out. We should probably also bring up the fact with the type of heat that we've been having yeah. and uh, likely we're going to continue to have, um Staying hydrated, obviously, from from a perspective of heat stroke and things like that is extremely important. But it's also important for injuries because as, you know, if you're out running and your body's dehydrating, your body is 60, 70% water. When it dehydrates, it's taking water from everywhere, from your muscles, from from all the things that are water-filled types of uh, uh, structures. And there is a fluid component to your muscles. And so if you're becoming dehydrated, you're also, you're not just putting yourself at risk for other more serious yeah. events, but on the more benign side, you're also putting yourself at risk for injury. Uh, so staying hydrated in this type of weather is extremely important. And, and, and again, not just from what everybody knows in terms of like, you know, the safety in terms of uh, heat stroke and things like that, but even from a simple musculoskeletal injury perspective, it is important to be having that. And, you know, things even like electrolyte drinks, like the Powerades and the Gatorades, it's, it's sometimes more beneficial than just straight raw water because you need to have those other electrolytes in order to be uh, utilized properly, absorbed right. properly. Um, now, you can make your own type of electrolyte drink. You don't necessarily have to go buy a Powerade or a Gatorade, but, you know, stay hydrated the proper way. It is very, very important um, if you're being active. Still uh, time to go here. Got another half hour of the show. If you have concerns, pain, problems, something bugging you, want to ask a question, you got time. 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell. The Canada Day edition of the Dr. Payne Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. 1131 Dr. Payne Show, you need to uh, get a hold of when the show is not on. 1-855-55-DR-LOU, D-R-L-O-U, or info at paincarecanada.com. You, you mentioned golf there, and so many guys, I don't golf, never have. It takes two things, I don't have money and patience. Uh, that's why I never bothered. But I know a lot of guys who, and it's just like that, as soon as the spring comes, it's like they go full bore. They're out every day of the week. They're either at the a driving range or on the course. The back injuries, because they haven't done it all winter, it must be literally killer. Like, <laughs> um, The back injuries, you know, one of the things that I think is very much changed in golf um, due kind of to the Tiger Woods era is the amount of power that's generated in people's swings, people who are really like avid golfers, like, you know, these pros are, are hitting the ball 330, 350 yards. Like yeah. that, that takes a lot. There's only so much space you have to go in that swing pattern. The rest of that force needs to be generated by speed. Right. And, and it's crazy. Uh, but you know, I, I have a good friend who, uh, 
who's a very good golfer, and he's already had back surgery, and he's, he's 25. Jeez. He had back surgery three or four years ago. Um, but, yeah, once you're putting that amount of torque through your body, things can break down. Now, you, it's not just the low back injuries. I mean, I like to golf a lot. I've sustained a lot of more neck injuries. I don't have a fast swing, so a lot of my swing is upper body strength because I have – I have bad hips from when I was a kid. I have mm-hmm. I had avascular necrosis, so I don't have any rotation in my hips. So I have to generate most of my swing yeah. in my op- upper body. So I get a lot of the mid back to to neck pain. Um, obviously, the elbow pain, golfer's elbow, is called golfer's elbow for a reason. That that very much happens. Wrist issues, hand issues, uh, for sure. So it very much depends on the type of player that you are and the type of swing pattern that you have and are you generating a lot of that force and and if so you're probably utilizing a, a lot more of the lower body uh, because you need to you can't generate that kind of force in a swing pattern just with upper body strength uh, but if you're someone like me who needs to just do to body mechanics needs to use more of the upper body you're going to sustain more of the upper body injuries but again i i do my best to try to take care of this stuff uh, proactively with my team just so that I can continue to, to play golf and do the things that I love to do. And that's what I encourage people to do. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to have aches and pains no matter what activity you're doing, whether it's golfing, biking, you were saying you're biking, you're going to sustain all types of aches and pains. The important thing is do the right things before they become, you know, a small problem is easier to deal with than a big problem. Um, and once you get it early, you can tackle it, you can do the right things, you can keep it at bay versus once you let it get out of hand, you know, the, these are the people that I see that come in and say, yeah, you know, I've had this issue for 15 years. And in the first 15 years, it actually wasn't bad. But more recently, in the last few months, it's it's horrible. It's like, well, you know, why weren't you taking care of it in right. the first 15 years? Um, and again, people don't do that because it's interesting. I'm reading a book um, where... Uh, do you know who Jordan Peterson is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he he wrote a, a book called uh, 12 Rules for Life. And, and one of the rules is, not one of the rules, but it's interesting. He talks about how people uh, will more often take care. Like if, what was the stat that something like, if, if, you, if you look at a doctor that's prescribed a medication to a group of patients, right. 33% of them will never fill that prescription whatsoever. And the next... 33% will probably not use it the right way. And the last 33% will probably not finish using it. So the compliance rate for for prescriptions from a doctor for yourself is not very good. No. Versus um, if you have a, some type of pet and you go to a vet and they prescribe something for your animal, people are great at Diligent. Taking, yeah, when it comes to taking care of their animals, they're incredible at it. Right. And now Jordan, as a psychologist, goes into like the psychological reasons, which that's not what I'm talking about. But it's I thought it was interesting. A lot of people just naturally, it's what he essentially argues there is that it's almost inherent in our nature to not really take great care of ourselves. And that's why people let a lot of the aches and pains just go because ah, it is what it is. And, you know, he gets into a lot of like Freudian stuff about mm-hmm. why that is. And, you know, uh, I'm not going to talk about that because I'm not well-versed in that stuff. But uh, it is very, very interesting that people will take better care of their pets than they will of themselves. Um, and I find that to be very true. And, you know, with what we do when we're, giving people things to do. And it's, it is very much a pleasure when you find people who actually follow the advice that you're giving them because they're the ones that get better and they come in and they're like, you know, you've changed my life. And it's like, no, you, you changed your own life by listening to what we've suggested. And it's the people who don't follow through with the proper suggestions who are often the ones that are saying, what's going on? I'm not getting better. I'm not feeling any different. I had, um, 
a patient who lot of chronic different issues, low back, neck, tons, tons of stuff. And uh, um, she's she's done everything. Cairo, physio, right. massage, this, that, blah, blah, blah. And she came to see me. She's like, I, she, through the show, you know, she said, I'm, I'm at the end of the line here. Like, I, I need to do something for the aches and pains that I'm doing. And, you know, once we went through everything, I said, have you changed? Have you ever done good exercise, good rehabilitation? No, never. I've never done that. Sent her to one of our clinics to do that, um, and she she said that after three or four treatments at, or well sessions with the physio, doing the the rehabilitation exercises, but more importantly being shown to her so that she can do them day to day, she's never felt so great. She's she just she's like on the road to recovery. She's saying she's like I feel like I'm gonna like I'm gonna get through this. I'm gonna be able to live. Like she was becoming, right. and I was like, yeah, but that's because you're doing what I've asked you to do. Right. Um, and a lot of people, you give them that recommendation and not, they don't want to bother to do it. And, you know, I'm guilty of it sometimes too with injuries when, you know, even the people that I see for my, and they tell me do this and do that. It's hard sometimes to fit it in, but it's a choice that you have to make. Uh, and if you make the choice to not do it, then don't be surprised if you're not getting better. And I think it's amount of time. There's a certain threshold I find. I mean, I've, I've seen it not only with myself, but with friends and family when it comes to stuff like eye surgery. They've had laser surgery or, or cataract surgery for about a week and a half. There's a series of three or four or five different – it's a it's a concoction, a cocktail of drops you need to put in your eyes two, three times a day. Right. you got to do this for a week. Thank God it's only a week because as soon as that week is done, they stop. <laughs> it is so tough to like get them to do four – my father-in-law, three or four times a day, these series of three or four drops you have to do for a week. And it's like you got to remind them. you got to remind it's them. It's incredible, eh? And luckily it's only a week because after that they'll they'll drop it. Yeah, you it's, can't stick to it. It, it is, it's incredible. It's it's very very interesting, and I actually want to read up a little bit more research on why humans are so bad at taking care of themselves and following through with you know prescriptions. I'd love to understand like more in depth the psychological component behind yeah. why that is. We'll take a uh, short break. Lots more on the way till uh, twelve o'clock this afternoon. You have any questions? Bring them on. The uh, lines are open four one six eight seven zero. 6400 star 640 on your cell. Dr. Payne Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. It is 1143 in the Canada Day edition. Yep, staying cool, staying hydrated. It's huge this weekend. Very, very important. And again, not just for, you know, preventing heat stroke and things like that, like the things that we all know about, but just from a musculoskeletal injury perspective, your, your soft tissues are a lot of water is in there. And so if you're becoming dehydrated, your whole body's dehydrating everywhere. Um, and so it's very, very important to stay hydrated. Um, one thing that I should man- mention with the free consultation is when right. you call me, you're going to call one eight five 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 doctor Lou. Leave me a message. I'm going to call you back from that number. I think sometimes people see a one eight five five number and they're they're like, nah, I don't want to answer that. But if it's the number that you've dialed to talk to me, it's me calling you back. That's where I'm calling you back from. Um, so you know, if you see that number, give me give me a call for sure. Uh, and also, you know, if you just want, if you know that, you know, if you've heard me talk about, say, something like knees, backs, and you know that you want me to assess it, call 416-744-7900, option one, and then one again, and they'll help you book the assessment. No cool. need to to, yeah. to waste time if you want to get in. So that's uh, uh, very important. And, and, you know, and in the assessment, we're going to go through a thorough history to understand um, everything and then physical exam if we need other testing. Uh, we'll go from there. And, you know, I guess we should, I'd like to bring up again the the knee clinic initiative that we're doing where if you um, have some type of knee injury and, you know, what 
what we're doing is we essentially can expedite the, the time it takes for you to get from where you are to see a surgeon if a surgeon is necessary. And that's very easy. That's just giving me a call. We'll go through a set of questions. If you qualify through that questionnaire, you're going to be in to see a surgeon very, very quickly. And that's extremely important from a prognosis standpoint when uh, people, it, where it takes too long to get in to see that surgeon. If you're a surgical candidate, the sooner you have that surgery, the better it is sure. for, for your outcome. So that's very, very important. And also, um, you know, if it's not uh, an acute injury and it's more that osteoarthritis, that chronic ache that you've been having, older individuals, you've been told you need to get a knee replacement and you're not sure that you want to go down that route yet or you want to delay that, then the PRP injection might be something to consider. And again, give us a call for that. We can help... Uh, coordinate a PRP injection, what we'll do first is make sure that you're the ideal candidate for the PRP injection. I've had a lot of people call for this, and and I would say it's 50-50. Sometimes I tell people, yeah, you should, and then other times I'm saying no, because we're very much basing it on the research and the clinical experience that, you know, we don't want to do an, something, an, an intervention to somebody if we don't think it's going to work. And, and so, you know, 50% of the people that call about the PRP injection, we tell them it's not the best option for you. Right. And, and, you know, I think you should find comfort in that because we're just trying to be realistic because we could do it to everybody. Uh, but why do something that's not going to work? We really want to do things that are going to work and, and give people um, the right advice. And, you know, outside of the knee stuff, any type of injury, any type of musculoskeletal injury, you know, things like headaches, uh, concussion treatment, shoulder, neck, upper back, the low back, hip issues, knee, obviously, ankle issues. That's that's what our team's equipped to deal with and, and equipped to deal with very well. Um, the care will be, I, I would say, second to none. I'm obviously biased, but um, the quality that you're going to get and the outcomes that we get are very, very good because, you know, more than anything, I, I the team that I have is absolutely incredible. Um, and they're they're the best in their respective fields, and and they really care. That's the biggest thing that I try to. People ask me like from a business standpoint when I do my hiring, what am I looking for? And the number one thing is I'm looking for the right personality when it comes to these people. And then the second thing is their quality of care. But you know, if people don't have, uh, if they're not in it for the right reasons to truly help people, that's where you lose uh, the prognostic factor. If everything just becomes a number and you're just trying to get through everybody. It's not the right way to do healthcare. And we should mention that I think next weekend we're going to have Dr. Gordon on again talking about the knee clinic, right? Yeah, we'll do, yeah. Uh, we'll probably have the PRP yeah. uh, uh, show again for people who are interested and want to know a little bit more in depth about exactly what PRP really is, cool. how it works, et cetera. Um, and you know, it's incredible. Dr. Gordon uh, and even Dr. Bergava will often talk about, you know, everyone that has a knee injury talks about that they've had cortisone injections. Mm -hmm. And they're they're like confident that the, Dr. Gordon always says there's very good research to support that it's the wrong thing to be doing. Right. Not a fan. Uh, not a fan at all. And I mean that's him as as a knee expert. He's a knee surgeon. Um, doesn't work. And even the people that I've seen clinically, I've there have been a handful of people that said, "Hey, I got it and it worked, and that's great." But I mean, out of the hundreds of th not hundreds of thousands, but hundreds, two thousands of people with knee injuries that I've seen, the vast majority that have had cortisone injections all say, yeah, it felt good for a day or two days and that was it and nothing after that. Um, so there's better options to be done for sure. And, you know, with our team, we're always going to try to go from 
least invasive measures to more invasive, yep. right? So if there's something that can be dealt with without surgery, then that's the option we're going to choose. And and again, the, the biggest thing here is you, the patient, are the person in charge of your health. There is nothing that we're going to recommend that if you don't want to do it, you have to do it. Absolutely not. That is like we can't, right? Evidence-based medicine is best available literature or research, best uh, or the clinical clinician's experience. But more importantly, what the patient wants, that's the one that trumps everything. If you don't want something done to you, then you're not going to get it. And if you do want something done to you, then, you know, as long as there's not many contraindications to it, we'll probably go ahead and do and it. Dr. Gordon's a pretty cool cat. He's pretty funny. Like, he gets it, he's right? A, he's, he's a funny good. guy. He's, yeah. he's, he's definitely a funny guy. He's a great personality. Even Dr. Bergava uh, for the knee stuff, the, the two guys that we work with closest for um, knee issues, they're both a very, very just great human beings. They're really mm-hmm. nice people. They really care, um, and they do a very good job. We'll take a short break and wrap it up. Another edition of the Dr. Payne Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. It is 1152-1855, Dr. Lou, D-R-L-O-U, if you need to book a uh, consultation. This was my grade 8 graduation song. Closing time? Yeah. Semisonic? Yeah. Nice. Was it this? Yeah, I think it was, yeah. That was your grade 8 graduation? I think so. I was working here when this song came out. You're an old man. I'm not as old as you. (laughs) That's brutal. (laughs) Were you slow dancing with a girl to this song? Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't remember. It's good for a slow dance for about another thirty seconds, yeah. and it just—it's like then stairway it to heaven. Yeah. It just gets uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. What do we do at this point? <laughs> People often uh, they ask, they call, they say, "Hey, you live in Oakville or Aurora, you know, somewhere around there." But you're uh, you're you're based in Etobicoke. How does your how does your clinic help? Yeah. So I mean, most people that call want to see me for the assessment. Yeah. Um, so that means you're going to one time have to come drive out mm-hmm. to Etobicoke to see me. And I mean, I have people from all over Ontario coming. Um, you come see me for that assessment. And then after that, depending on what you need, we can find a provider closer to you that can take care of you um, closer to where you live or where you work, whatever you prefer. Um, and, and that's pretty simple. If you want to not see me for an assessment, you would prefer to see someone closer to you. I can also help find that. But yeah. I would say that, you know, 99% of people that listen to the show uh, want to see me for the assessment. So, uh, you know, I can't be in a million places, so it's just easiest for me to pick one central place, uh, which, you know, my location at Humber College Boulevard and and uh, Highway 27 is very, very central from everywhere. There's a bunch mm-hmm. of highways that go there. It's not, it's, you know, down the street from Pearson. So uh, right. it is obviously a very central location from anywhere you're coming or in within the Golden Horseshoe. You'll, um, and again, we have people from North Barrie, Waterloo, Kitchener area, the Niagara area, the Halton area, and then, you know, over to Pickering and Oshawa, all the way up towards, you know, uh, Bob Cajun and things sure. like that. Yeah, it's uh, uh, people are coming in and getting the assessment. And, you but know, a lot you have a provider network around. Yes. Right. And even like, let's say I've sent you for an x ray and we don't get the results, I'm not going to make you come back in. The rest of it we can do. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I want to see the person because I want to do a physical assessment as well. If it was just a history, I could do that you know, over a phone, but I want to move that part of the body around. I want to test the ligaments, the structures, um, and I I will always do that. And then if it's a matter of x-ray or other testing, the rest can be communicated through through phone or email or things like that. So it's it's literally the one time. And again, you you know, as you get down the last few minutes here, don't discount the whole CBT angle of it, right? No, no. And again, that not necessarily for every single person, but it is very, very important. And oftentimes when I see, every time I see a patient, I always say, give me the list of everything that you've done. And when I see the chronic pain patients, it's very much the one thing that it's like, 
they'll say, oh, I went to. So there's a difference between I went to go see a psychologist and I actively do CBT, right? Just because right. you went to a psychologist two or three times and you didn't find it helped. You're not that's you haven't done true intervention or true no. psychological intervention. CBT is an ongoing process that you will continue to do forever. Um, whether you even realize that you're doing it anymore or not, but it takes a very long time. And and it's the same as the rehabilitation. I would say the CBT and the rehabilitation, like the CBT on the mental side and the rehabilitation on the physical side are the two things when I say to people, have you done rehabilitation for your low back pain? Yeah, you know, I've done some stretches and exercise. No, 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 no. no, no. Have you done rehabilitation? Are you every day Committed. doing exercises and every two weeks you're making them progressively harder and you're challenging yourself, blah, 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 blah? If the answer to that is no, then you have not done the rehabilitation that I'm talking about. I'm not talking about you sit there and you stretch for 30 seconds every single day. That's not rehabilitation. That's stretching. Do you, Have you properly strengthened your core from zero, from starting like from nothing all the way to where you should be for for your age, your body weight, all those things. And most oftentimes, the answer to those things is no, they have not done it properly. But I'll tell you, if people stuck to the rehab and the CBT the right way, I would, I would say those two combinations are probably the closest thing that we have to a cure for chronic pain. Which is the reason why you say athletes always, it's not just because they're stronger, it's because they're dedicated to fixing themselves, right? Yeah, they, they'll do, and, and they're, they're, they're mentally strong. An athlete, especially high-functioning athletes, it's very well documented that they have a lot of mental strength. It's hard to be to get to that elite level without being headstrong in terms of what you're determined to do, and that's a big, big thing. And yes, they are dedicated to the rehabilitation that they want to do, and that's why they get better. Now, there's a detriment to them too because sometimes time off is important, and they don't like they that don't want part. to lay down. They don't like that part, yeah. and that's when they can predispose themselves to injuries. But that's a whole different topic. But you know, it's interesting when sometimes when I have the conversation around will there will there ever be a cure mm-hmm. for chronic pain? And I'm telling you, I think somewhere a combination between some type of psychological intervention like cognitive behavior therapy and very very good rehabilitation is likely the closest thing that we'll ever get. It's got to become the norm with people. That's the it problem, has to. Right? Yeah, we, yeah, people need to accept that this is. This is what it's going to take. And I think, you know, I, I remember like in the 90s, you always you would always hear about like, you know, we're looking for the cure. We're looking for the cure. And that message has very, very much changed. And that that's the cure for whatever we're talking about. We're starting to realize this cure, this one pill or whatever, one procedure that can cure something, it's probably, it's more about modifications, lifestyle, prevention, doing the right things, et cetera. We're looking for management. Yes. Yeah. Till next time, the number is easy, one eight five five doctor Lou D-R-L-O-U, or info at paincarecanada.com. We're going to be talking knees and PRP next week, so uh, return for that one as well. Till next time, Dr. Pancho, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.